Sysdig is the first cloud-native visibility and security platform that eliminates the need for standalone tools like container security and monitoring. Using Sysdig's unique data approach, enterprises can solve a variety of visibility and security issues at massive enterprise scale for multi- and hybrid cloud environments. Sysdig will enable your organization to scan and block vulnerable images and enforce best practices pre-production, block threats, enforce compliance, and monitor application performance, proactively alert on incidents, reduce MTTR with forensics, and capture detailed audit records. All from a single unified platform. Accelerate your transition to containers and then have confidence in your ongoing operations using Sysdig. To learn more, visit securityweekly.com forward slash Sysdig. Welcome back to Application Security Weekly. I'm your host, Mike Shima, joined by John, Matt Alderman and John Kinsella. Some of you told us that you're overwhelmed by the amount of content we distribute. In an attempt to make it a little easier for you to find what you are interested in, we've created our new listener interest list. Sign up for the list and select your interest by visiting securityweekly.com slash subscribe and clicking the button to join the list. You can also now submit your suggestions for guests in our recently released guest suggestion form. Go to securityweekly.com guests and enter your suggestions. Uh, news of this week. So it's been a while since I've talked about path traversal and I haven't found one yet, I know, but I did pull out a cross-site scripting, not because I like cross-site scripting, I just wish it would die and we'll never talk about it again. But I wanted to pull out this uh, WordPress plugin, had cross-site scripting in it. Um, so message there is supply chain security remains. You know, what are your plugins? What are your dependencies? But this was also a little bit of a case of, um, uh, it, it's an, in, an interesting trivial test case to create because it's actually in the X-forwarded four header. So it's not in the usual suspects of parameters um, that developers might miss. But the other thing I'm to highlight is that historically, WordPress has had a really big problem with sandboxing. And browsers like um, Chrome, um, Safari, Mozilla, they have all moved to great sandboxing approaches. Many other application environments have moved to sandboxing. And that's really, I think, if we're talking about what modern application design needs, is that sort of um, design and architecture so that these vulnerabilities are less impactful. And I want to use that as a segue into, because I don't want to talk about XSSA more, uh, a segue into Android. Had three critical RCEs released in their media framework. And the reason I was calling this out is that a couple episodes ago, we also talked about um, Android was adopting some new LLVM features. Um, and these LLVM features were um, I basically designed to help identify bounds problems and out-of-bounds errors within um, these types of codecs, um, as well as Android was moving to sandbox these types of codecs, specifically for these types of reasons. So um, I guess it's a mix of a, a little bit of a good and a bad, but overall optimistic that Android is actually going in the right direction. So Android won't be the WordPress of iPhone operating system, or I guess phone operating systems, bit of a slip there about um, security models. Sorry about that. <laughs> but um, those were two um, vulnerabilities I wanted to start off with just off the bat. So I don't know if there's anything you guys wanted to add on that um, or, or move on to, to the next interesting items. The only thing I can say on the WordPress side is we've seen a lot of these announced uh, over the number of months, right? You need to vet your plugins. 
we're we just um, we're redesigning our website. We use WP Engine. Uh, we're actually putting in a couple commercial plugins to make it easier to sort and filter on the content for the show. But I had Paul do the reviews of them before we decided that's the route we were going to go. And I think one of the challenges for people out there developing websites with WordPress is they use the free plugins, which are probably highly suspected of vulnerabilities, um, and they're not looking at the others. You just you have to vet your plugins. It's it's a really tricky one because if you think about it, you know, the application security weekly, we're talking about application security, and this is an application security problem, but who's your user? Uh, it's usually, I mean, you know, Security Weekly guys are relatively small shop. I mean, that in a good way, nothing but a bunch of really great people. But um, usually it's your marketing arm that's doing the website, right? And what are they not thinking about? Security. And, you know, there's two parts to it. One is what you just said, Matt, you know, having someone, Paul, or someone do that review. But it's not a one-time thing. When that website goes out into prod, uh, you still have to make sure those uh, plugins are up to date and in you know, tested and, and checked. And I had a long list of, of things. If people are interested, they can contact me. I've got a list of things you do to a WordPress site to actually make that thing pretty unhackable. Uh, I've got some friends that run, I think they're still running. Um, it was patent pending a way to actually make WordPress pretty bomb proof. But otherwise, it's, it tends to be fairly, you know, it, it's, it's Swiss cheese. It really comes down to what is that plugin like? And it comes back to like a few episodes ago, I was talking about how do you look at an open source project on on GitHub, right? You know, how many stars are there? How active is it? When's the last update? It's the same type of thing for a plugin. Go out to the, the WordPress site. You know, how many, what are the comments like? When's the last time it was updated? Does it, are people complaining about they're slow to fix bugs? These are the type of things which um, you can do without looking at the source code and get a sense for, uh, is this something you really wanna be running in production? Um, in a public sense, that represents the brand of your company. Yeah, I think that's a good, we had a um, article here about, maybe we'll segue off that. There were nine best practices for integrating AppSec into DevOps. And one of the aspects, of course, here, one of the tough things is that we're talking a little bit of, or talking a lot about supply chains. So this is actually a plugin that maybe we're not vetting, um, or we do have access to the source code so we can look at it. But, you know, by the same token, what you were saying there, uh, John, like marketing shouldn't have to worry about the actual security of it. That's not their, you know, that's not first in their mind. But it sh if we turn over to the AppSec team or the DevOps team, which one of them should be worried? Or at what point, which, <laughs> you know, which team should be worried about what? Let's, you know, let, let's try to tease that out a little bit more. That's an interesting one. Uh, so I think in a modern organization, uh, AppSec is still around. You're seeing, a, I'm seeing a little more SecOps than AppSec is sometimes falling underneath SecOps. Um, I think DevOps should be doing it though, right? I mean, those are, if you're going to a, an SRE model or a DevOps model where they own that thing in production, both publishing it, maintaining it, doing all those type of things, then yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's a production issue. Um, but then how do they stay in sync with whoever is actually coming up with your security parameters and um, standards uh, to make sure that, you know, you check things out, do the review beforehand as well as going into prod. So it's it's always going to be multiple people, but that's, um, that's a good thing to think about. So is, in this article, this Forbes article, Mike, that, that we put in here, um, the, the first one is 
AppSec as early in the processes as possible, right? And again, mm -hmm. this is this concept of shift left, moving application security capabilities into the DevOps pipeline as part of the initial development. Um, and we're going to see more of this continue over time. It's not necessarily a SecOps issue per se. I mean, I think of SecOps kind of at the, at uh, uh, during aspects of production, right? As the operations of security is, is the apps running. The development team is going to take on, I think, more of these responsibilities. And it talks in this article, obviously moving that left, looking at your third-party code, because they're the ones bringing this stuff in, right? Whether it's a third-party library, whether it's a third-party plugin, they're the ones doing some of that research to, to um, do that as, as part of building out the application and potentially the website if that team's doing it. And so there's some really great points in this article of things we've talked about on this show pretty much since it started of how do you continue to move aspects of security more and more into the developer's hands and make it easy for security just to be baked in. Yeah, and I'm there's a great... Completely, ahead, in agree completely in agreement with you. Uh, if it's a an in-house app, yeah, then it's going to be looked at as part of that security review, uh, or hopefully should be as part of your architecture plan. But if it's something that's, as we were just using, if it's it's an application, right? It's something that's being consumed more so than something being developed. How do you think about security in that point of view? And that's a much more mature process. It's much more, much higher step on a maturity cycle, I think, for a, an organization to have that process in place. Should they? Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and that's a great, there's, there's this complimentary article too from um, devops.com, six traits that define DevSecOps. Mm -hmm. And it's calling out security automation, culture of security. Um, and also too, like we always say security shifts left. Um, I also like to say it's also kind of implicitly security spends left as well. And what I mean by that is that um, maybe you have open source tools to take care of security. There are some open source scanners, even just good linting can help, but you're actually, you're investing time and time is, you know, time is money. Time on security takes away from time on developing features, for example. Um, but there's also that idea of that culture of security and automation. So there's time and money that's going to be spent there too, whether it's integrating tools into your CI/CD pipeline so that you have all these crazy dependency graphs of all the software that your tool's built on. You need to have some way of inspecting it because no human is going to be able to be able to, you know, manually go through that. But you also need that manual process. You need that culture of security where there is at least someone who cares um, at least to, as a sh and cares to push a shared responsibility for security, but someone also too who is going to take the time and do those basic shift left exercises of threat modeling. You know, what are we building? What could go wrong? Let's talk about those things about what could go wrong, and maybe we don't need to. You know, that third part, that next step of what are we going to do about it. We don't actually have to write code for every single situation, but let's at least be cognizant of what could go wrong so that we can minimize those surprises when, lo and behold, some exploit, you know, does, you know, does come up and it's exploited. Some bone comes up and it's exploited. Um, so those were areas I want to call out, too, is very much that that people aspect of, of this process of shift left. Yeah, and there's a couple other things that this article points out also. Desiloing IT, I say desiloing security, right? Both of them need to be desiloed in really the integration of how 
development, security, and operations all come together. Um, the other one here is security enables doesn't stall, right? This is the thing that's been yeah. hurting the security industry forever is we're at the end of the process. We say, no, we're the stall, right? If you really want to enable uh, and, and pull that friction out, right? Security needs to be enabler, which means security has to be engaged earlier in the process. Uh, and I think it's just something really interesting for us in the industry to realize is that we need to be looked at as an enabler to support the business and how do we integrate our security stuff in to be that enabler and not the guy that stalls the project or stalls the deployment at the end of the process. That's why businesses are, you know, upset some days uh, with the security teams in those organizations where, where security seen as, is a roadblock versus somebody that's really supporting the business and finding the, the right way to get the code out supporting the business initiatives, but also reducing risk and implementing the right security, uh, the appropriate security based on the application and, and what the business is trying to do. And that that's hard, I think, for some of us in the industry to wrap our heads around, but it's so important. Yeah. And if you're the, if you're the security team that is still trying to come in with like that purely manual aspect at the end of the release cycle, it says check with us and then we're going to run our tools. That's just totally set up for failure because one, you're missing all the great chances for automation. That's what the developers have been doing throughout their entire CICD pipeline. And if you're also thinking you're the only ones that need and should be running those tools, you're kind of skipping over the fact that you've got some smart developers building code and they actually may even have better context about the feedback of what those tools are giving. And there's another article here that was all, um, it's, it's mostly a, a, a long checklist about tips for choosing the right CICD tools. But when, when I think of that, you know, anything of that aspect, I go straight into how does it integrate? Meaning, can I trigger it with an API? Um, and can I get the data out of this tool from an API, meaning like a security tool, so that I, I can basically say, here's the tool that works within the CICD pipeline and gives feedback for the devs. And that feedback may be very simple, very targeted on one or two items. But I can also get data out of it from a security team, can go and look at broader trends, can also do some reactive aspects like say, hey, here are some vulnerabilities that our you know, pen tests have identified. Let's go search throughout the rest of our code or let's build some triggers throughout our CI CD pipeline for those same types of patterns to do that type of experimentation. And that absolutely needs automation and tooling. You can't do that at the end of the process with a bunch of people launching scanners off their laptops. Yeah. And it's the data integration point that is the really important one is I have a finding, get it back into the developer tools and make it really easy for the developer to see the issue and fix it and, and relaunch the build is, is part of their continuous integration process. That is where we just all, all I, not, okay, almost all, right? As security vendors, we want everybody into our tool because we all want to be the single pane of glass, right? In this world, that's not going to happen. I, I'm sorry, it's not. The single pane of glass in the application side are all the developer tools sitting over here to your left. And so you've got to integrate that data back in. Yeah, just having having someone have an, yet another tab open in their web browser to be looking at you know the output from this one tool, totally the the not not the way to go. 
And I think this conversation is also leading us towards um, two articles. One that very much the title was, who is really responsible for cloud security? And this broadens it a little bit into like an AppSec team or a DevSecOps team, as well as we're in the cloud. Like, how much do we need to be looking to cloud providers to be providing basic tools, security tools for us versus security tools that are offered at a premium? Um, because I, I'm very much of the opinion that security shouldn't be a premium. Um, but there are also tools that are valuable and probably can be, you know, worthwhile to 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 pay for. Um, so I'm curious your takes on this aspect. Well, I want John's opinion on this in a little bit because he works for a SaaS vendor, which I think will be an interesting perspective. I'm actually working on getting uh, a resource on. I think we have an interview in a few weeks specifically on this topic because I, I think this is a great topic. Is just because I go to cloud doesn't mean I'm secure. It depends on what type of cloud I'm adopting. And this article does a really good job, and we'll get into an interview segment on this in a few weeks, that talks about the difference between infrastructure as a service where you're basically responsible for almost everything because it's your instance, it's, it's you're responsible for it. That includes OS and patching and all that other stuff. Then yeah, platform as a service, right? Where a lot of that's been abstracted away, managed by the cloud provider themselves, and therefore your responsibilities go down. Uh, it talks about SaaS, which I'll leave for John, but I, there's a kind of a layer in, in the middle here. This container as a service is kind of a platform as a service. You have uh, Kubernetes as a service now. Uh, they're kind of uh, very specific platforms as a service capabilities, again, by leveraging a Fargate, by leveraging an, an ECS or an EKS or, or whatever your, your Kubernetes cloud service is, you're abstracting more and more away from your responsibility back to our previous segment, right? The true test for me on whether a security solution transforms you know, through all this uh, technology change is, does it run in Fargate? Um, and there you see the cloud provider is taking on a ton of responsibility for the underlying infrastructure. And really you're sitting on top in that container application space and that's what you need to secure. You need to secure your data for those apps and identity, which is why I always go back to my three pillars, right? When we're done with digital transformation, whenever it happens, <laughs> three things matter, app, user, and data, because that's what an organization is gonna have control of. We pretty much abstracted everything else out. And if you're using cloud, guess what? Security's kind of baked in there. I guess hey, that's John, you work for a SaaS company. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to take a, a, a slight step back um, and, and just talking about the, you know, sort of the, the origin of this question of, you know, who, who chooses or what's going on. I think this is interesting at least to me by itself. And it has been for, you know, you guys had on, on, on a, Business Security Weekly, I was listening to you this morning, Matt talked to uh, uh, the woman from Cisco about supply chain security. Um, and there was a point when I was active, more active in CSA, probably close to 10 years ago, when we were having some of these uh, supply chain discussions in panels where people would say, because the problem with cloud is, is really comes down to a degree of who's picking it or how they're picking it. Um, and if you think about, the power of a credit card at three o'clock in the morning. 
it becomes very difficult. That's a very easy point for things to go sideways really quickly. So if you don't provide some level of um, what your customers, aka your developers are looking for, or your ops folks are looking for, uh, suddenly you might find yourself in very strange places and, and God knows what security requirements are there. And I don't mean that from a fear point of view, but more just something you need to think about. So from a SaaS point of view, are, you know, what, what's, what's the value of a spend? Um, as I just said, I really dislike doing FUD-based marketing or FUD-based sales. So, you know, what, what is the value out of that product? Um, I think from a SaaS point of view, in many cases, it's quite nice. When we built Layered Insight, taking a step back out of my, my current home, we built it very purposely so it could be either on platform or as a SaaS, depending on what, you know, especially in security world, some folks really don't want that security data going into the cloud. When we were first making that decision of do I want to arc, do I want to build a product that is a on plat on premise or do I want do I want to just look at it purely as a SaaS product? I went out to a bunch of potential customers and said, Would you buy this as a SaaS? And I was surprised by the number who said yes. So the the um, appetite for using public cloud services, even in the security space, has really uh, morphed in, I think, a positive way over the last five, 10 years. Uh, and I think that's from the point of view of um, people are, you know, we even see banks now, um, you know, another potential uh, host or, excuse me, guest here in a few weeks. But we're actually seeing banks that are actually going full cloud, full public cloud. Mm -hmm. So people are starting to actually build up that trust. As we said, it takes a bit of time to get there. So then me as a, a SaaS product in my current uh, home, where we have 99% of our customer base is coming into a SaaS product, not on-prem, uh, you know, it, it's still, it's, it's a huge requirement on our side to say, this is, we need to put all these things we've been talking about on ASW, making sure the application is secure, making sure the infrastructure is secure, going through all these different uh, hoop jumping experiments to, to get the various certifications. It requires a lot of work uh, to do that right, to do that at scale for, you know, a large company that has, you know, 18 to 20 sort of sub products in there. Um, but I think the end result of that is we're able to provide something to our customer that allows them to have that trust. So they're able to send their data to a secure cloud. So I think it takes really to do it right. There's a lot of work required to get there, but once it's there, I think everyone benefits from it. I agree. I think there's a lot of great benefits from it, and whether it's you know platform as a service, infrastructure, software. Um, there's there's also slightly the dark side of it, as you know we have S3 and Elasticsearch. They're sort of breach as a service, which are just there are <laughs> misconfigurations and you know mistakes that happen and things go bad, and that trust that you were just describing, John, that gets built up and built up gets lost very very quickly. Oh yeah. Um, and it's kind of curious to see you know. Amazon actually did come out with some more basically klaxons about like your S3 is misconfigured and here's some alternate ways of setting the defaults for it securely. Um, but it's kind of curious that it's, you know, I, I don't know that we can necessarily blame AWS for that, but um, what does it mean in the sense of is the cloud, if, if we talk back to the, the, the first segment, are, are is going cloud native and security are we introducing new and different problems or is it simply that we have more data at once and so breaches just look that much bigger because it's everyone knows to scan all of aws or gcps or azure's you know ip address space looking for 
those misconfigurations. And when your CI/CD pipeline finds it in one minute and some external scanner finds it in 30 seconds, that external scanner's just got the luck of the draw is going to win. Yeah, so a couple so, things here. We actually had a, a pretty interesting webcast with SaltStack a couple weeks back, specifically around misconfiguration, because I think that's one of the biggest concerns in cloud. Because when you move to the cloud, you're using lots of cloud services, and each of those cloud services have a set of configurations that need to be managed and set appropriately, which is why we see you know, leak of data in S3 buckets, because they're misconfigured. So the problem shifts a little bit in the way we've traditionally thought about it from a, I need, it's not about the CVE per se, right? A misconfiguration is still a vulnerability because it leads to a potential uh, exploit in, in some form or fashion, but it's not about finding the CVE per se, it's about identifying what are the configuration best practices, is my environment configured correctly, and how do I identify when something's been, a configuration has been changed? I think that's the challenge for cloud native and us adopting more of these cloud-based services. Configuration takes more front and center, I think, with a lot of these services to actually uh, secure them. Yeah, and the good news there is that a lot of these configurations are YAML files or equivalent of text files. So ostensibly, um, they are more human friendly to read, read through, reason through, but also that should mean that they're also more machine readable. So those misconfigurations should be easier to find. And I guess what I'm bringing up there is that aspect of absolutely enable those DevOps teams to build great applications faster. But security absolutely needs to be a part of that as a collaborator. So that DevSecOps, not DevOps plus AppSec, but DevSecOps that says, can we have visibility into what you are doing? We're not going to say no because we want to get out of your way, but we also want to help you avoid those sharp edges and pull you back from that precipice to continue to mix my metaphors. Um, and so when these mistakes happen, they're caught either before they go into production or they're identified as quickly as possible and ideally even automatically fixed. Yeah, so now you're back onto this mind shift change. Security always thinks about things in an operational environment. It's running. How is it configured? We need to move that concept even earlier as well to say, well, based on all these uh, settings and all these different files, can I identify potential security concerns before I even deploy and not wait until over here and turn it over to my SecOps team to go deal with it? That's the other shift in mindset we're going to have to think through is how much further can we move our security analysis uh, as part of the build process so that it's not we wait until it's in production before we find an issue. Right. So I'm going. Yeah. To, yeah. I'm going to uh, uh, make a comment here about uh, um, uh, drinking sugary drinks such as Kool Aid, and I'm going to go back to our, our previous you know segment we were doing as well. For those who are just coming in now, uh, go out to a cncf.io/projects plural. You'll get a list of all the projects right now under CNCF. And the reason I want to bring this back is go full circle. There was a really amazing blog post out in 2015 on the Circle CI website. Uh, um, called It's the Future. I don't know, are either of you guys familiar with this blog post? No. I know Circle CI. I'm not familiar with the blog post. Okay, so this blog post is a, a thing of beauty. Um, and and 
it, it starts off with, hey, my boss said talk to you. I hear you know a lot about web apps. Yeah, I'm more of a distributed. Well, anyway, it's not going to read the whole thing. It's, it's a long post, but it basically goes through how do you how do you get going with JavaScript, right? Because that stuff is moving so quickly. You go from back in the day, Angular to, you know, I, you get the idea, right? All these different components in there, and they're changing as quickly, and you want to do something different. There's another component, and then you have so many components, you need something to build all the components, and then blah, 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 blah. And that's really sort of, if you're not careful where you're going with uh, um, cloud native. And the reason I'm saying this is, again, security comes back to simplicity, right? So, you know, the question around, what are we are we exposing ourselves or not by going into a more modern environment? Possibly, you need to sort of go, okay, which one of these components do I actually need? Um, am I getting things over complex again, or are are we actually getting real benefit by bringing in some of these components? So, um, highly recommend googling that article. Again, it's there's a few versions of it, but this is the version from June 9th, 2015, um, on Circle CI's blog. Uh, it, it'll give you a few chuckles, but it'll also give you something to think about this overall space that does repeat itself. Yeah, I think um, a quick read through it too is, is uh, to, at a glance, it also ties into what Matt was saying in that sense of users, data, application that you know, pull it, come back to the basics of threat modeling and ask yourself, is my attack surface increasing or decreasing? Because even um, we were talking about um, you know, tips for choosing the right CI/CD tools. One of the aspects there is simply, great, we have more tools hooking into the CI/CD process because we want to shift left, we want to look earlier on, but does this mean now more tools have access to our source code? Can we, does that mean that now our developers actually have more than one login because not everything is can do SSO or support SAML? Does that mean that these tools can now actually modify source code? So now, sure, we have a nice Git commit history, et cetera, but we have no idea if the code from the last time a human hit commit and you know commit and start the deploy process, was that any code modified up, up until that deploy? And um, those are all, introduce for as much as we say shift left add more tools to it still have to be cognizant of those aspects of that um uh, attack surface that we're potentially increasing but you're also increasing the chance of your build chain breaking um and this is something that's near to my heart here with at, at you know as i said the day job um we are the first product so the the, the container security module at qualis we are the first project product which is in line with a build process. What does that mean from my point of view? I can't have maintenance windows. I can't have, you know, all these different things. I have to have an SLA that, you know, it's not like launching a, a, a network scan and coming back in a few hours and seeing what the results are. If this is part of someone's build, I need to be quick. I need to have better SLAs. So a lot of these things are something to start thinking about. As you add more of these components in, not just the um, the C and the A part of security, but no, sorry, the C and the I, but also the A, making sure that this <laughs> stuff is available and it's not gonna break things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially not even, yeah, in addition to breaking, just having that build go fast. So developers care about shaving, you know, from four minutes down to three minutes and 20 seconds. That's a big difference because it can, especially when you have large teams, when you have multiple deployments. So just not slowing it down, I add to even in addition to um, don't break it. Wise words, don't break it. <laughs> don't break it. <laughs>
So we're getting to the end of the segment, and um, rather than be selfish and end it on wise words that I may have mentioned, <laughs> um, is there what, what, any other wise words or um, articles that you guys wanted to um, point out to for our listeners? I think my no wise root. words. No root. <laughs> no root. This is good. And check your configurations. Check your configs. John, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a completely different direction and say you can tell you've had a good weekend by the amount of mosquito bites you have in your legs. <laughs> Letting the developers go outdoors. This is always a good thing. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to thank you, Matt. Thank you, John, and thanks everyone for joining us. We'll see you next week on Application Security Weekly.